0: Produce myself, my name is Ho. H oh, to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the scene. I guess even back then you can call me CEO on the ROC. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. i will be the music band's number one supplier. Flying in a piece of paper bearing my name. I've got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. What's us. good everybody and welcome to another episode of the Amatella KTI like is podcast here on this Tuesday, November the 8th, election day, here in the United States of America. The year 2022. Lots to do here on this program as we enter the first full week of the month of November. Uh, week nine recap. Of course, lots that happened over the weekend in the National Football League, which we will uh break it down all here for you on today's show. Uh, Jeff Saturday's new head coach of the Indianapolis coach Frank Reich out. I will get into that a little bit later on in the program and the Houston Astros of your 2022. Uh, MLB champions, I will put a entire bow on 2022 World Series and the 2022 MLB season in part uh, coming up in the back end of the program. Uh, so busy stuff, lots to get into with the baseball, uh, you know, saying goodnight on Saturday night. It will be all, primarily all NFL and all college football from here on out from here, college football from here to uh early January and with the NFL from here till early to mid February with the Super Bowl and then of course uh, you had the uh, college basketball season tip off on Monday night uh which uh, which will be into our realm of conversation as we get deeper into the uh as we exit fall and get into the uh, winter time and of course the NBA as well no NBA games tonight uh with it being election day. Every all thirty all the entire league played on uh Monday night with with and as a requirement well not as a requirement, but something that the NBA did uh with them with there being no games on Tuesday night election night. The uh NBA put all of their teams playing games uh from seven at night to about ten thirty, ten forty five 1045 at night last night. Uh, with uh, there being no games, with uh, the election day and the NBA wanting their fans to instead of go to ball games, you know, to get in line and vote and all that other other sort of stuff, and I hope you guys, uh, and I hope you guys uh, voted as well, whether standing in line, voting by mail. It's important, but anyway, uh, that is where I just wanted just to get that on, get that out of the way and on the board here at the top. Where it will begin is with week nine in the National Football League with the New York Football Jets uh, taking their uh, win over the Buffalo Bills on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, There's a couple of things, and let me, and let me, and this is more, uh, we can give the Jets credit, and boy, did the Jets play their ass off, and the Jets, albeit with a difficult schedule, have now put themselves in a position where it could be a playoff contender in the AFC, and depending on Josh Allen's injury, uh, the severity of his of this UCL injury in his elbow, they could be a, a sleeper team that that with one or two more losses of Buffalo's part, and no Josh Allen, they can end up stealing the division because they have a leg up on the you have the, they have a le- leg up on the Bills and they have a leg up on the Miami Dolphins, and and we'll get to their victory over the Chicago Bears uh in just a few moments but to get to back to, excuse me to get back to the Bills and Jets game uh and this is something with the Buffalo Bills that would concern me you know they did they did an atrocious job stopping the run it basically allowed the Green Bay Packers uh, in their previous game in Week Eight last Sunday night to have their way and to manipulate and dictate the ground game. They they allowed Aaron jo- they allowed Aaron Jones and the Packers to put up their best. Rushing performance of the, of the season. And I'll get you uh, their number. I'll get you their numbers for how much Green Bay ran for that Sunday night here in a minute. But Green Bay ran for two hundred and eight yards on the ground. Aaron Jones, twenty carries for one hundred and forty-three yards on the ground. On Sunday, they allowed uh, the Jets to run as a team. They didn't allow a 170 some yard performance individually, but they allowed the Jets as a team, 34 carries, 174 yards on the ground. Uh, Carter, 12th, carries 76 yards. Robinson ran the ball fairly well. And, of course, Zach Wilson did his thing, scrambling from the pocket. So if I'm a Bills fan, I would be... It would be in the back of my mind and that worry and that, uh uh-oh, would creep in, would would, would rise from the ground and, and creep into my thought processes of can this team stop the run? Yes, we can get after the quarterback, but can we stop the run? And the Buffalo Bills, albeit they have a very fast defense, they're a fast defense. They're not that big. They don't have a whole hell of a lot of uh big you know three hundred pound guys that that can that can rock your world and, and will punish you when you try to run the football. They got a, a very fast defense. They don't have a, a one that that has immense you know weight and power to it. You know you run you run up the gut, boom, you're gonna get knocked on your ass. Or you know a quarterback. the 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 Bills don't have that sir so, you know the ravens ravens have that have that sort of immense uh, you know bigness and, and 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 strength and power the ravens defense has that buffalo bills do not chiefs have it a little bit buffalo bills do not uh, a little bit but not by you know chris jones but they got a lot of speed but they but they're not and but they don't have a whole have a lot of tall and big thick powerful uh defensive players especially especially in the interior defensive line and with their linebackers that can uh that can neutralize and shut down the run in ways that we saw you know that we've essentially seen the Ravens do all season long for a perfect example off the top of the head, uh, but they gave up over two hundred rushing yards to the Green Bay Packers on week eight, and then on Sunday they gave up a buck seventy four throw that into the equation with Josh Allen and his red Zone interceptions. He had two horrendous Ill-advised, piss poor, undisciplined red zone interceptions against Green Bay last week, and then and then on one of Buffalo's early and then Buffalo's uh, first drive of the game, they got the ball with immense field position because the kicker somehow slipped and fell down. They start out with 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 with. Perfect field position. Got the ball at their own 45-yard line. First possession of the game for Buffalo. They march right down the field. Get to the Jets' 13-yard line. And Josh Allen throws throws a terrible interception directly to Whitehead. And unfortunately for Buffalo, uh, the Jets couldn't do that. Couldn't do anything with it. That ensuing drive, but the red zone interceptions—the two against Green Bay. All right, it happens. You get sloppy. You get careless. You're trying to patch your stats. Okay, whatever. You see it. Fr- you see it again. First drive of the game, it becomes the beat. Josh, if you're a Bills fan, it gets the beat. Josh, come on, put your head out of your ass. These red zone interceptions are going to cost us come playoff time if you don't stop it. So, so that's the two things I take away from a Bills fan: the inability for this team to stop the run uh, going off of the last two games. And Josh Allen's red zone interceptions—the two against Green Bay in the second half, and then one in the opening drive in the first in the in the first quarter—I would I would have a, I would have a keen eye to both of those uh, to both of those issues. Uh, furthermore, with Buffalo, that I you know things about Buffalo and their loss on Sunday, I didn't like, and then they couldn't capitalize off of Zach Wilson's fumble. Bills get the ball right back. Uh, get the ball right back, and Josh Allen throws a throws a, interception now. Sauce Garner, who's a tremendous corner who is running away with the defensive rookie of the year award right now through the first half of the season. But Allen, a bad pass right to Sauce Gardner, reads the route perfectly, snatches it out of the air. To give the Jets the ball right back right after Zach Wilson got stripped sacked got got stripped and uh, and lost the football in which Buffalo recovered it Josh Allen gives the ball right back to the Jets and uh, it's a set up shot for the Jets to uh, to get the ball back or excuse me they got the ball back and shut up and then they set up shop for the Jets at Buffalo's 19 yard line which ended up leading to a go ahead touchdown to put the Jets out in front 17 14. Which, uh, which, which is again, uh, I, you don't you say, well, Josh, one game. Well, it's the point in time of the season, you know, for the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, the 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 the, the, the Vikings, the the Eagles, the teams that you that you know, unless something catastrophic happens, they're going to miss the playoffs. That, this is the time of the year where for those teams that you know are, go- are going to be playoff contenders and are trying to get to a Super Bowl at the end of the season, this is the time of the year where the, the dumb mistakes, you really can't afford them. You really cannot afford the you can get away with it in Nove- you can get away with it in November. After Thanksgiving, early December, it's got to be all systems go. Because if because if you are still fought fought around, you know week t- past week twelve, you you're you're playing with fire, and Buffalo is in a position where everybody in the month thinks they're gonna have number one seed because yes they have the tiebreaker over the Ravens and they have a tiebreaker over the Chiefs, but what happens if they what but the tiebreaker to the Ravens and Chiefs may not matter if they're only 2 within their division to the Jets. And the Dolphins, who continue to win football games. So, Buffalo has to keep that in mind. Even though if they win a division, the AFC playoffs will roll through Orchard Park. They have to keep it in the back of their minds that the division is still up for grabs. The division is still up for grabs. They are currently in first place by a half a game. They're they're literally in first place because they've already had their bye week. Because the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins all have six wins. Hell, the Patriots are two games back of Buffalo, and they're in last place. Now the Bills have yet to play New England, and when they do play New England, I I would, uh, you know, unless you have another situation like you had last year, where the wind's swirling at fifty miles an hour and it's thirty degrees below zero. I would imagine that the Buffalo Bills are going to take care of business against the New England Patriots when it comes time to play them later on this season, but don't lose sight of it. But oh yeah, we took well we beat Kansas City. Oh yeah, we beat Baltimore. Well, those two wins may not matter because the division is still very much up for grabs at the halfway point of the season. And you cannot ill afford bad red zone interceptions. You can ill afford your defense being unable to stop the run. Bad enough, your secondary was beaten up heading into the season in and and in September. See, so if you can't stop the run, you're gonna have problems, especially as you get deeper and deeper into the into the uh, into the NFL calendar. Re- Allen's red zone interceptions. Not to mention the bad interception, the gu- bad interception to sauce right after your defense went out there and got you the ball right back. Allen throws the interception. Jets get the ball back at, at the Bills' nineteen yard line. March down the ex, you know, march down the next, uh, march down the next nineteen yards. Jets put the ball in the end zone. They're up 17-14. 14. And although it didn't cost them anything in moment, and you can even say, oh yeah, it is what is the illegal kick out of bounds after Bass's game tying field goal to tie the game up again at uh, seventeen apiece. And you say, Ah Jive, what the what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Buffalo Bills did not play we we said it uh, we set it uh frequently in the month of October. The Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles have really been the only two teams that have played a complete game from start to finish for a full 60 minutes. Well, that's your game. That uh, You can you can also, of course, go to the Miami game, but this is the game where you look at if you're Buffalo and you say, we played like crap and we did not put together a complete football game. We were undisciplined. Special teams were spotty. Offense wasn't very good. Defense had its flaws. Th- this is your game. This is your game. You're six and two, but this, is, but this is your game. This is your game. And it also goes to show if you're Buffalo too, if you win your, if you don't win your division, and by some crazy circumstance you don't win your division, it will not be as easy to go to the Super Bowl as you may think it will be. That's going as a wild card team. Because will you beat could you beat Baltimore and Baltimore again? Maybe could you beat Kansas City and Kansas City again? Probably. But what if you run into a team that has no pressure on them and and like Tennessee for instance, who who te- it's, you play Tennessee, and they do nothing but run Derrick Henry down your throat, and your defense can't get a damn stop. It can't get. And can't get off the field. What happened, you know, you run you run into Tennessee where everybody was like, oh, they'll win their division by default because the Colts think they're not a super Bowl contender at the bottom of the totem pole and all and out of the seven teams that made the AFC playoffs this year, and all of a sudden they get a ball to Derrick Henry and he has a two hundred and thirty yard career rushing day and runs for four touchdowns the Buffalo and, and controls the clock and Josh Allen can't get on the field you know, on a on a periodic basis, and 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 the Bills defense in turn can't stop the run. Your problems right here in November, right here in November. And although, but it's got a sloppy game, sloppy, clutch cl- throw. But to uh, and also, I have no idea why Gabe Davis during Buffalo's final possession on the first and twenty, I have no idea why Gabe Davis run backwards. He catches the ball, is eyeing C.J. Mosley. All he has to do is just tuck his head down and try to just sneak his way past C.J. Mosley. Instead, he catches the ball, dances, goes back about two three yards, and ends up getting tackled short of the line, short of the line to gain, which I which I could not which I could not understand. Uh, and the penalty, and they also had a, a costly penalty during their fi- during their uh final drive, in which um in which uh Dawkins got called for offensive holding, which negated a uh fifty excuse me, it negated a twenty six yard pass completion t- f- uh, by Stephon Diggs down the uh down the right side uh, down the right sideline, which would have set up shop for the Bills. to have a uh, first and ten at the Jets 49 yard line. And it got negated because of a holding penalty. They beat themselves. Jet and uh, we'll give the Jets their flowers here in a minute, but the Bills beat themselves. Enter turnover turnovers, uh turnovers, not capitalizing off of the, one of the Jets few mistakes. Uh Allen's I you know Allen with the with the with the interceptions. Uh penalties, sloppy game for the Buffalo Bills. And, and and they couldn't stop and and their inability to stop the run, which has now been at least a thing for the last two weeks. To give the Jets their flowers. I love first of all, I love the fake punt on fourth and one. Uh and when they had when they were down fourteen ten, had the ball at their own forty eight yard line with about uh twelve eleven to go in the third quarter. I Love the fake punt. I love it when coaches where, with with coaches with with inexperienced teams, young teams, but good and competitive teams going up against who are underdogs against the top level football. I love it when they go out there and they take chances out of the club they don't overthink it, you know, trying to get somebody to jump off sides, come up with a fancy play, sending an offense out and for the you know or the read option or reverse passes or philly no sometimes as just love it when they when they you know they the deep, you know, the, nobody's paying attention. Everybody's lax. Their hair is down. I say, you know what? Fourth the one, let's show them that we mean business We're out there. Fake punt. Did the same thing in the, in the I believe in, their, in the in their comeback win against the Browns, and it worked out tremendously for for the Jets then than it did now. Love the fake punt called by Sala on fourth and one. Love it, love it, love it, love it. You send a message to Buffalo that you ain't scared of them. Yes, we're down. Yes, we're yes we're losing, and yes, we weren't favor to win this game. But we aren't scared of you. I love that decision by Sala to go for it on the fourth and one, and it was a clutch uh, conversion by Zach Wilson. The Denzel Mims on the third and five, which kept the drive alive, and on and, in the, and that drive ended with uh with uh, f- with the uh with the Jets kicking what ended up being the uh go-ahead game-winning field goal. Uh but give Zach Wilson tremendous credit. Uh he played very, very well. Uh he played very, very well within well within his means. He did not turn over the football outside of the fumble. With three interceptions, the horrendous interception day against the Patriots. Sunday, he slashed that number, f- wiped it away, turned over the football, or excuse me, threw zero interceptions, only the one turnover with the fumble. 18 to 25, 154 passing yards, one touchdown pass. Uh, of course, had the clutch uh, uh, completion of Mims, which I already mentioned. And the Jets just did a hell of a job of controlling the clock, keeping Allen and the Bills on the sideline as long as possible. And they ran the ball tremendously well. Ground and pound football team. Robert Solid deserves a lot of credit. And also, if if you're a Jet fan, you love this stat. The Jets have a plus 58 fourth quarter point differential. That is the best in the National Football League, best in the game. Your New York Football Jets, Bills, and Jets, Bills. Or excuse me, Jets beat the Bills 20 to 17. That is game number one. Game number two that we will discuss uh, here in this opening segment is the Dolphins and is the uh, Dolphins and the Bears. Bear, excuse me, uh, the Miami Dolphins win the game by the final score thirty-five, thirty-two. 35-32. couple of things I took away from this game. First off, the Miami Dolphins defense, I am very, 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 and, I, and Bradley Chubb. And, you know, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, are you still, you know, as cocky as you were, you know, around this time last week where essentially Bradley Chubb, uh, you know, was was uh, was was going. You know, what was the end all be all, and was going to was just a guaranteed ticket to go to the Super Bowl. Because your defense is, has got major. Let me listen to the point totals for the Dolphins in their in their in their games this year. They gave up twenty eight points to the Detroit Lions, gave up thirty two points to the Chicago Bears, uh, twenty four to Minnesota, forty to the Jets. 27 to the Bengals, uh, 38 to the Ray. I mean, they have not exactly put together a virtuoso performance in the first half of the season. And if there's one element of this football team where they do miss Brian Flores being the head coach, it's with their defense. They have only allowed less than 13. They've only allowed less than uh, than 17 points twice this season. They've only allowed less than 17 points twice. Ten points in a win over Pittsburgh and two his first game back. And they only allowed seven points their week one victory over the Patriots. Since then they've allowed thirty-eight points. Uh okay, so they give all right, so give him a break with Buffalo. They only allowed nineteen points to Buffalo coming off a of back to back thirty plus point for Arizona. So Buffalo gave him a pass. But he gave up thirty-eight points to Baltimore, twenty-seven points to Cincinnati, forty points excuse me, not forty points, uh yeah, 40 points to the Jets, 24 to the uh, Vikings, 31 excuse me, 27 against the uh, Lions, and then 32 against the Bears. So 32, 20, 32, 27, 24, 40, 27, and 38. Their best performances of the season was uh not counting the Steeler game. Uh or if you want to count it, the Steeler game where they only allowed 10. Uh, the Patriots game, which they allowed seven, and the uh and the Bills game, which they only allowed 19. They've been they have not been a very good defense this year. And Sunday's performance just reinf- just reinforced that. Giving up 32 points to but to the Chicago Bears. Justin Fields ran by himself. 15 carries, 178 yards on the ground, one touchdown. They gave up 252 rushing yards to Chicago on Sunday. We'll, we will sing the Bears' praise in a minute, but that that defense got severe flaws. And, and I understand, you know, it's just one week. But uh, you know, I Brad, will Bradley is Bradley Chubb the ultimate elixir for this defense? It's it, it still it still remains. Uh, it still remains uh, to be seen, in my in my uh, in my honest opinion. Uh, but we but for the moment, while the defense is out to lunch, two has been absolutely phenomenal. Tua attack twenty one of thirty, three hundred and two passing yards, three touchdown passes, not a sack. QBR of uh of eighty one QBR of, of eighty one point four. Uh, Tua had his second straight game with three touchdown passes. Also give him tremendous credit for that. Uh, but the things that but if you wanted to quibble, on a couple things about the Dolphins and the sequence of that game that I did not like uh, throwing Tyree Kill, who's just been absolutely phenomenal. You know, I was kind of half and half in the field of it wasn't I where. Two where Tyree Kill was go- was going to miss at some points, you know, playing with Kansas City Chiefs and playing with Patrick Mahomes. Because I didn't see the Miami Dolphins as a playoff team, but I did say at the same I was half I was one foot in, one foot out with this with this thing with Tyree Kill and whether or not he'll miss Kansas City and he'll be able to pull up the numbers. I did say, and a whole and a lot of people, you know, failed to realize this when the trade went down back in the offseason. A lot of people failed to realize. Tyreek Hill has been an elite talent in the National Football League at the wide receiver position for a long, long time. It was, it's, and it's ironic because on Thursday afternoon, I'm, I think it was either on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it was, I was on social media, you know, just scrolling, you know, just scrolling through, you know, videos or whatever. And a random video popped up of, it was like a six, I think it was either 60 or 61 yards, that a 60 or 61 yard touchdown catch and run that Tyreek Hill had two, I want to say, no, it was 2017, Uh, 2017, Mahomes' rookie year was still riding the bench behind uh, Alex Smith at the time. Alex Smith was the starting quarterback. Alex Smith, starting quarterback, 2017. They were at Dallas, and it was two seconds before the half, and Alex Smith threw a little, you know, dink and dunk, little pass in the flat to Tyreek Hill. He catches it along with a bunch of blockers that Tyreek Hill has in front of him, and he somehow maneuvers his way, you know, up and down and side to side across the field, and I think it was the 60 or 61 yard. Uh, play and Hill ended up going all the way to the end zone for a touchdown, and the Chiefs stole a, a, a stole a touchdown uh, heading into the. Ha- it was right toward. It was like two seconds left, right before halftime, and they scored a touchdown and went in and went into the half uh, against Dallas. That was that was back in 2017. My point is. As long as Tyreek kill has a competent quarterback that can get the ball to him, and he, and if that means little five yard dink and dunk passes or him running uh, drag routes over the middle, then so be it. Tyree kill is an elite talent. There's only two players in the National Football League that when I watch them play, is the equivalent of of what a sports car would look like if you know if you could f- if you could. Uh, shrink it to have it fit on a football field, or if we played football in sports cars. There's only two players that when he gets the ball in the hand, it's like watching a sports car, you know, maneuver up and down the field. It's Lamar Jackson and it's Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, he catches the ball, he, go, he, he quick, quick turns, quick twitch muscles, everything else, and he just catches it, and he just takes off. So I said it then. Now, did I anticipate him being essentially putting up as great of the numbers with Kansas City as he as as he is now with Miami, no, but did I anticipate him to basically fall off the face of the earth? Not a chance because as long as Tyree kills got a quarterback that can get the ball to him it doesn 't have to be always you know four verticals fly you know flying sixty yards down the field and catch it. No, as long as you can get the ball in Tyree kills hands he 's going to produce numbers because that 's how much you know, of an elite talent that he is if he was able to put up numbers with Alex Smith. In Kansas City, pre Patrick Mahomes, he can do the same. He can do the same thing in Miami with Tua, and so far he's just had an absolutely sensational season. Seven receptions, 143 yards receiving, a touchdown. A sensational, sensational day for uh, for Tyree Uh A couple things though about the Dolphins though I didn't like. First of all, Tua cannot miss. Smythe, he was wide open in the flat. I mean, fourth and one in bunch formation. Got bought at the Bears 19 yard line with 750 left in the fourth quarter. You cannot, under any circumstances, miss Smythe that wide open in the flat. That ball has got you in your tour. And I know, and not that I know because I played quarterback, but as, as someone who throws the football left handed, you gotta, you gotta drop back. Uh, and because he's running to the right, so you have to turn your body in order to face him. But if that means you snap the ball and you basically gotta backpedal your way to the right so he's in your vantage point, in your vantage point, whatever you gotta do, that ball's gotta be there. You know, you gotta see him the whole way through and basically gotta soft touch it to make sure that ball meets him. Right there in the numbers from the catcher. He catches it and falls down, you get the first down. He catches it and he goes upfield a little bit, you might get a touchdown out of it, but you can't. That's a, his worst throw of the afternoon was that. Missing Smythe that wide open on, on, on the on the, uh, on the flat, in which it was a turnover on downs, and the Chicago Bears ended up getting the ball back. Waddle also had a bad drop on third and 11 with 250 going in the fourth quarter. And, and during and during the uh, Dolphins' final uh, offensive drive of the game that they had, which I didn't like either. First of all, I would have thrown the ball on second. on second and eleven. I have no problem starting that drive, running the football, because you know that you got because you could because you know you got to uh, you got to you know, make the uh, Bears use their. Uh, they only have one timeout left, and you got to milk the clock. that got the ball with roughly three minutes ago left in regulation. So once so first, until you want to run the football, fine. But when the, it when, when the run doesn't work and you haven't ran the ball. Uh, very well all afternoon. They ran as a team in total 23 rushing attempts for 77 yards. You got to be able to say, okay, you know what? First and 10 run doesn't work. We, gotta th- we basically got to throw away to win this football game. As long as we make completion and keep ourselves in bounds this is this is going though but this these results are going to be what we want because at the end of the day again they had a lot of time on the clock when they got the ball with 2:10 2:20 they got the ball with 3 minutes left to go in regulation uh Chicago had a timeout left plus the 2 minute warning so roughly two timeouts, 3 minutes left which is an eternity when you're trying to run the clock out. Not to mention they were at a disadvantage because they were backed up in their own territory starting to starting out the drive at their own 16 yard line. In circumstances like that, you need yardage and you need points. You need yardage so you you need yardage so you can so you can uh, so you can, of course, work the clock. And the more yards and the more first downs you pick up, the less and less likely it is and the harder and harder it is for the defense to get off the field to get the uh to make sure that that their offense gets the ball back. Secondly, you know, you get points, it makes it a little bit a little bit more difficult. They were up 35-32. You kick a field goal, they're up, they kick a field goal. Granted, they're only up six, but in the same scenario, the Bears know they got to play for a touchdown to win the game, or excuse me, a touchdown, yeah, a touchdown to win the game, plus the extra point instead of a field goal, because it because thirty-five, thirty-two, field goal ties the game. So they get the ball back. They can, you know, they can choose. Okay, we got the field goal in the back pocket to force overtime, or you can march down the field and score a touchdown and win the game. Or if you score a touchdown, you go up forty, you 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 go up ten points, and the game is over so the 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 dolphins needed yardage, and more importantly, needed points. They needed to put with that much time left, they, they needed to get chunk plays and put the ball in the end zone to put the game away. Field goal doesn't put the game away. It makes it a little bit harder for the bears, but not impossible. Touchdown. Ten point deficit and the game roughly and and the game was essentially over. Instead, they get cute second eleven. They run some stupid reverse reverse uh, uh, reverse run to get set themselves up for for third and eleven. And then Waddle drops the pass. They they take all about what about a about a few a few you know they and and that was with two fifty left. By the time they had to punt the ball back. To uh, by the time they had to punt the ball back to um, to Chicago, and then when Chicago on their final drive of the game, you know, I have no idea why in the world there wasn't a defensive pass interference called on uh, when when, Ke- when Keon Crossan is essentially prom hugging, not bear hugging, prom hugging Chase Claypool down the left sideline. How in the world defensive pass interference was not called on that? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, that is a piss poor job by the referees. You get that play that's got to be called. Defensive pass. That, he's he's prom hugging him. He's got his hands wrapped around his waist, hugging him tight to keep him from running towards the football. A blatant, clear as day. That's got to be called. It's got to be called. And if it was called, it would have given Chicago a first and ten with the ball at Miami's 25-yard line, and the Bears would have had an opportunity to again, at minimum, tie the game up. Would have put them in chip-shot field goal range, and the refs didn't call it. a terrible job. Lastly, about this game, the Chicago Bears, their play, the play calling on a Sunday, it played to Justin Field's strengths, and this is three straight games where the you know where the Chicago Bears offense hasn't been anemic and unwatchable. Uh, Just they're playing with strengths. And that's basically have a lot of design runs for him and allow him to use athletic ability and overpower and outrun opposing defenses. And that's what you saw. 15 carries, 178 yards on the ground, one touchdown run, 17 to 28, throwing the football, one 120 pass yards, three, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Excellent day at the office by Justin Fields, who impressed me a lot during their uh, loss on... Uh, During their loss on Sunday uh, afternoon. And the Vegas Raiders are a complete waste, uh, are a complete and utter waste of time. The Vegas Raiders, ladies and gentlemen, this season in their games, they have led 20 to nothing, 17 to nothing, 17 to nothing, and 20 to seven. The last two scores I gave you all were both in the same game and yet they somehow same, some way found a way to lose all three. They had a 20-nothing lead midway through the third quarter against the Cardinals in week 2. They had a 17-nothing lead uh late in the second quarter against Kansas City in week 4 or excuse me, in week uh, in week five, they had a 17 to nothing and later a 20 to seven lead against the Jaguars on Sunday. And they found a way to lose all three of those football games. And it is enough, it's enough of Josh McDaniels, it's enough of Derek Carr. Josh McDaniels, had zero business getting the <clears throat> the head coaching job for the any for the Las Vegas Raiders. He left the aforementioned Indianapolis Colts at the altar in their hiring process before they decided on Frank Reich, who they canned, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the show. They uh, McDaniels left had a coaching staff picked out 0-9 yards backed out at the last possible second with cold feet whatever the reason he walked out on him he was a terrible head coach with the Denver Broncos in the in the in the Kyle Orton Tim Tebow era terrible coach terrible coach the worst and yet somehow some way he got another opportunity coaching the Vegas Raiders. And I don't know when Mark Davis is going to learn. I don't know when these NFL owners and these NFL executives learn that the that Bill Belichick's assistant coaches do not work as NFL head coaches, under outside and from under and out of from underneath the Belichick umbrella, I don't know how many times they have to keep on going through this. Matt Patricia didn't work with the Lions. Joe Judge didn't work with the Giants. I mean, when how many times are going to keep on going through this, going through these machinations? Patricia didn't work. Judge doesn't work. I mean, Bill O'Brien flamed out with the Texans. How many times? How many times? You got to keep on going through this. The, the, the best assistant coach that's come from under Belichick outside of O'Brien is Brian Flores. But more times than not, the Bill Belichick assistant head coaches do not make good NFL head coaches. They just don't. Whether it's the fact they try to be too much like Bill Belichick? They're inauthentic. They have no sense of identity amongst themselves as a coach or with their football team. Whatever it is, they just they just do not work. And what happened? Uh, Al, uh, what's his face? Davis was sold a bill of goods that that Josh McDaniels, Doug Garnett, is going to be the guy that's going to take the 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 Raiders up and over the edge, and it's the same thing that plagued them essentially under John Gruden before he had to resign. It's the same thing. Blown leads left and right, piss poor defense, and anemic offenses that are stuck in the mud. But it's enough of Josh McDaniels. It's enough. They do nothing but sit on leads, and their defense does nothing but give them up. Who's the elite again? You name me one elite player on their defense besides uh besides uh Max Crosby. You name me one elite superstar player on their defense besides Max Crosby. Spoiler alert, you cannot. So they ha they don't have any outside of one player, they don't have anybody on defense. Throwing the fact they do nothing but sit on leads, do nothing but sit on leads, and Derek Carr's play doesn't help him either. 21 of 35, 259 pass yards, got sacked twice, incomplete passes left and right. Devontae Adams, who Devontae Adams, who like Fred Bolitnikoff in the first half, dropping passes left and right everywhere you look, letting passes deflect off his fingertips, off his hand. He can't catch a pass in the second half. Can't catch a pass. They got to... It's just, it's just enough. It's enough. They can't run the football. And Derek Carr, he isn't, offen- he isn't offensive to the league at the position, but he isn't great. He isn't great. And especially in the AFC, you need a great quarterback to be considered a Super Bowl contender. You need a great quarterback. There's a reason why I picked this team, albeit I thought they, with Devontaeams, it would provide them a little bit of a boost, and they'd finish above 500. But you see why I picked the team essentially to finish in last place by default because of the quarterback. Do you try, Is he better than Mahomes? No. Is he better than Herbert? No. Is he better than Lamar Jackson? No. Joe Burrow. No, Tua. No, Josh Allen. Obviously not. Jalen Hurts. No. So I mean, at the end of the day, you can get, you can get. Waller never plays. You can you can bring in Devonte Adams. You can get Jerry Rice. You can get. I do I don't care who you get. Michael Crabtree, I don't care. Derek, at this point in 2022 NFL football, at the certain point where Derek Carr is in his career, he is not going to win you football games to the elite level that you would like in this point of his career in 2022 NFL. I'm sorry. It's just the, the chicken flew the coop with Derek Carr. And I don't know how many times the Raiders got to keep on going through, and all these NFL, other NFL teams got to keep on going through these machinations, bringing in these Bill Belichick assistant head coaches that can't coach that way worth a damn. Do nothing but sit on leads and blow them. They got to, I mean, they got to break. With Patterson missing a 41-yard field goal, 3-0 in the fourth quarter, Raiders get the ball right back, can't move the ball worth a damn, nor can complete a pass. Jags get the ball right back, can't milk the clock, and and, 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 and and they are forced, forced, can't get a first down. They're forced to kick a field goal to make it a 20, to put themselves out, in front, to extend their lead to 7, 27-20. Raiders get one more chance. They get one more chance to go down the field and tie the game up and at least get it into overtime. What do they do with, with roughly a minute left on the clock? The the Vegas Raiders, okay, the the 0-5 away from, from Allegiant Stadium, Vegas Raiders. You, you want to hear what they did? Four plays, zero yards, and another loss. Four plays, zero yards of offense, and another loss. They've lost five road games this season. Five. They're 0-5 on the road, 2-6 and 6 on the season. Enough of the Vegas Raiders. Enough of Derek Carr. And more importantly, enough of Josh McDaniels. Why he is employed in 2022 as the NFL head coach. It should be against the law at this point. He is terrible at his job. Terrible. Why the Raiders didn't make an effort to bring Basaccia back, who they played inspired football under, who actually got them to the playoffs and almost won a playoff game with, it's just... It it is mind-boggling how bad that organization is run. Mind-boggling. Vegas at that nice stadium, be damned. This team stinks. Speaking of stinks, Aaron Rodgers is the worst. Aaron Rodgers, ladies and gentlemen, is... Here it is, me sitting up here talking about Tom Brady being washed. Aaron Rodgers... May be washed, because ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that the Green Bay Packers have not won a football game in a month? The Green Bay Packers have not won a football game since October second the Milwaukee Brewers, whose off season is well over a month old. Do you realize that they have a more recent win in, in terms of further back you have to go on the calendar? Their win, is more, they have a more recent win than the Green Bay Packers do. The Milwaukee Brewers who missed the playoffs didn't win their division this year. They have a more recent win on the calendar looking back in, into the month of October. They have a more recent win than the Green Bay Packers do. Their most recent win, October 4th. The Green Bay Packers' most recent win, October 2nd. Aaron Rodgers might be the one that's washed instead of Brady. Last year, he threw four interceptions. This season, in 16 games. This season, he threw seven. He's thrown seven through nine games. Three interceptions, 23 of 43. Got sacked once. QBR of 25. Aaron Rodgers is terrible. Aaron Rodgers stinks. Aaron Rodgers, watching him play the quarterback position now, has become offensive to the damn senses. Two red zone interceptions. And it is... Aaron Rodgers has got to... He's got to look himself in the mirror. Instead of blaming... Instead of blaming his young wide receivers... Instead of blaming Brian Gunakis, instead, bl- instead of casting blame to everybody, short week, playing in London, flying cross country, his receivers, it's enough. I'm tired of him throwing his young town underneath the bus and then running them over with the bus just to roll back over him again. It's enough with 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 everybody else has got to be accountable. And if nobody is executing their job and is missing the times, so they need to cut the reps. It's enough of that. It's enough of everybody who isn't doing their job needs to suffer the harsh consequences. And I, Mister QB, Mister uh, Mister AR Twelve, uh, back to back league MVP. I don't have to. I I I'm immune to all of that. I'm immune to the criticism, and I'm immune to any sort of punishment you you want to dish out at me or you think I deserve. Bullcrap! It's enough with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers needs to pick up a mirror, look at look at himself in that mirror, and see that the, the this then see that the problems with the Green Bay Packers team is not on Kiss the GM, it's not it's not on his young wide receiving core. It begins with him. We all know Lafleur ain't a patch on Lombardi's ass, so we don't even have to discuss him. But it begins with him look himself in the mirror and say, you know what? The, it begins with me. I played like crap. And he did. 23 or 43, 20 incompletions, got sacked once, three interceptions, two of them inside the red zone. For a quarterback of his quality, of his talent level, coming off of two back-to-back, coming off of back-to-back MVP seasons in 2020 and 2021, and going up against the worst statistical defense in the National Football League, that is completely unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Don't be pointing fingers, throwing teammates underneath the bus. You got to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I played like crap. You went up against the worst statistical defense in the NFL, the worst defense in the league, and you only could score nine points. I don't want to hear about it. it's it's somebody else's fault. I didn't. Where's where's my help? I don't have the receivers around me. The GM, no, Aaron, it's you. Was it Brian Gutekis's fault? You throwing off your back foot left and right, underthrowing receivers on go routes in the middle of the field, throwing off your back foot and getting ambushed by Aiden Hutch- Hutchinson in the red zone? Was it, it was it his fault? Was it uh was it uh Robert Tunyon's fault? Was it Romeo Dobbs's fault? Was it Sammy Watkinson's fault? Was it Alan Lazard's fault? You throwing an interception Throwing a pass directly off of a Detroit Lions player's helmet, shoulder pad. Throwing off your back foot, getting lazy, getting careless. You think just because you're Aaron Rodgers and you're blessed with the immense talent to throw the football you, that you can say, Oh, you know what, I don't need to go through the full full fluid motion that it takes that it's required that i've been taught to you know when you throw a football i can sit back and cool it and have a nice a whiskey smoke a cigar get high on off some ayahuasca and throw off my back foot and say ah you know what my arms don't take me there screw it and just chuck it 60 yards downfield was it their fault or was it your fault throwing off your back foot not stepping into your throws was it the G was it Gunakist's fault? Was it your wide receiver core's fault? Or was it your fault? Last night checked, you're throwing football. Not Gunakist, not your wide receivers. It's you. You're the quarterback who took every nickel off the table in the offseason back to the MVP. It starts, begins, and ends with you. Enough of the excuses. Enough of throwing teammates underneath the bus. The 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 passive aggressiveness. It is enough. Because you stink. You stink. You scored nine points. I don't give... I could care less about your receiving court. There's you, the great quarterback that you are that's going into the Hall of Fame first ballot should find a way to score more than nine points against the league's worst defense. I don't care. I don't I don't care. About your about your lack of wide about your lack of wide receiver depth depth I could care less. I don't care. You gotta find a way to score more than nine points. That's disgusting. It's enough with Aaron Rodgers. It really it is. Heaven instead of him yelling, crying, bitching, moaning, and throwing fits on the sidelines, He needs to be throwing fits at himself. Because it ain't, ain't nobody's else's fault, Aaron, for you playing like shit except your, except your own. Team's want to get his teeth smashed in by the Cowboys on Sunday. He stinks. It's enough. Why will he take some accountability for a change? God, I, I am so tired of it. Just the piss poor throws. It's just, it's just terrible. The passive aggressiveness. I I've had enough. Chargers beat the Falcons 2017. Khalil Max takeaway big time big uh, turning point in the game for the Chargers. The couz uh, Kuz, uh missed that fifty yard field goal would have made a twenty fourteen uh lead for Atlanta. That which uh which what which uh, kept the uh, Chargers in the game and only and only down by uh only down by three points and in typical Falcon fashion they forced Eckler to fumble the football only to recover it only to recover it and then losing give it right back to the Chargers which gave them a reset of downs at their own uh forty three yard line. Chargers ran the rest of the clock out Kicked a, goal, kicked a game-winning field goal Cameron Dicker, a 37-yarder, to win a game by the final score of 2017. As the Chargers somehow, some way, who are 3-1 on the road this season, somehow at 5-3, and and uh, keeping a little bit of distance between them and my Cincinnati Bengals for the seventh seed in the, um, in the American Football Conference playoff picture. And that's just the first half of the Week 9 recap. Part number two, in a flash. Boy, if you don't love Usher, man, something is wrong with you as we welcome you back to the Amatelica is podcast. Second half of the week nine recap is as follows. I, I you know, i will get them out the way, you know, why not? I mean, if, if you expect me to uh, throw a parade and go gaga and, like, be the Colin Cowards of the world and think this team... Is the uh, is the second? You know, I say that this team is one of the best teams, one of the top three t- premier teams, best in the sport to make a Super Bowl push. Like Colin, like Colin Cowherd said on his show today, you you got the wrong guy. And listen, I I am I, I live and die on Cincinnati Bengals football a lot more than Colin Cowherd does. His uh, weekly spots with uh, Joe Burrow be damned. I'm not gonna throw a parade because this team, uh, you know, beat the living piss out of the uh, out of the uh, Carolina Panthers, forty-two twenty-one, and had a thirty uh, and had a thirty-five to nothing lead at halftime. I'm not doing it. The bottom line is if that if the Cincinnati Bengals want to. Prove to the one, prove to the NFL world, to the masses, to to teams in their own division, the Ravens, the pundits, the analysts, the the the, the columnists, the journalists, the beat writers, the reporters, or more importantly to themselves, and to well, not to themselves, but more importantly to their uh, Bengals fan base, if they want to prove that they are up there, should be up there with the big boys of the Ravens, Kansas City, and Buffalo as the teams that you can count on to get it done. To uh, it seems you can count on to get it done and be there when it comes time to be an AFC Super Bowl contender to possibly go to and win the Super Bowl. They gotta do a lot better than beating the crap out of the garbage that is the NFC South. Okay, they and I saw a tweet and it's fun. And it's I saw a tweet on Sunday and it's ironic because it applies, but yet it also just goes so just how sad the Bengals. are. You know they they I saw a tweet that said, the Bengals are the best team in the NFC South three out of the Bengals' five wins this season have been against that garbage NFC South division, against the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints with their one game against the South remaining. Their only out-of-conference game left remaining is against Tampa in in, uh, mid-December, but you're not proving it to me anything whoop de damn do. You're 3 and 0 against the against the NFC South, okay? But the thing the thing I worry about is the fact that you're 0 3 within your own division. You lost to the you lost to the Steelers, you've lost to the Ra- to the Ravens, you've lost to the Browns. And if the Bengals want to prove to their fan base, to me, and to anybody, that they that they're basically going to replicate their late season push to make it back to Super Bowl like they did last year. Here's what you gotta do. I understand they got the, the second hardest schedule in the league, but here's what you do: you go nine up and nine down. You go nine and oh. You see the Steelers, Tennessee, Kansas City, Go from there and you kick ass and you take names. You win every single game the rest of the season. No worse, eight and one. I'll accept seven and two, but no worse than seven and two. Six and three. I don't think 10 and seven this year, with how competitive the AFC is, with essentially all four teams in playoff positioning in the AFC East, two teams out of the AFC West. I do not believe that ten wins will be good enough. Yes, they have a tiebreaker over the Jets. Yes, they have a tiebreaker over the uh Dolphins. And they soon will play the New England Patriots. And that'll be a game that depending on how New England uh it will play on you know leading up to that game on Christmas Eve will be a game they'll have to have for tiebreaker as well. They have to have it anyway, but in terms of tiebreaker if the Ravens end up running away and hiding with the AFC North. I will tolerate seven and two, eight and one. I think is plausible. Nine and zero, oh, albeit probably unrealistic, for me to feel better about their chances and for them to have a chance—a chicken wing and a prayer—to to steal the AFC North from the Ravens, unless they collapse down the stretch with their cakewalk of a the schedule. They got to go nine and zero. Oh. They got to go nine and zero. Oh their game against Pittsburgh got flexed out of Sunday night football it's a 425 game on CBS so they don't have to worry about you know the the voodoo of the of the of the of the uh vaunted you know road primetime uh game which the Bengals historically have been terrible at Uh, under Marvin Lewis and under Zach to have been historically bad with the, you know, playing the road primetime game. And this year, especially against the two divisional opponents against the Ravens and uh, the disgusting uh, abomination we watched on Halloween night against Cleveland in Cleveland. But they got a stretch of games where from week 11 to week 17, all of their games on CBS and they alternate four twenty-five, one 1 o'clock. Steeler game, one, four, Steeler game 425, Titan game at 1 o'clock, Chief game 425, Browns game 1 o'clock, Buccaneers game 425, Patriots game 1 o'clock. Week 17 game against Buffalo's a Monday night game on ESPN and ABC. And then depending on how well the Bengals do down the stretch and if the Ravens collapse, whether or not that game could be dependent on the AFC North Championship title, that game week 18 against the Ravens could end up being either that Sunday week 18 on ABC and ESPN SPN, that dopey at Monday Night Football doubleheader on a Saturday, which makes no damn sense. Or you could see Tarico and Collinsworth uh making making that visit to the jungle uh for Bengals and Ravens on the eight on week eighteen of that last Sunday night of the season. But as it stands right now, the Bengals were scheduled to have five primetime games. At the moment, they only have the four. With the two on Monday night the one on Sunday night and of course the Thursday night game on uh, in late September against the Miami Dolphins. But getting back to their win against the Carolina Panthers, listen, the only positive thing that really would make you uh, that would that would make you happy if you're yours truly is that Joe Mixon ran football tremendously well. But the thing, that again, that's still frustrating with this football team, we scream, we yell, I pound my chest, I pound this desk. Time in and time out, week in and week out. Where's Joe Mixon? Where's Joe Mixon? He's had an underwhelming season this year. He's been bad. He, he, he can't avoid tackles. You know, we're not running football consistently enough. Zach Taylor is trigger-happy to abandon the run. And then finally, after the whole universe screams and yells about where the hell is Joe Mixon in the running game, then all of a sudden Joe Mixon, you know, looks like Walter Payton, 22 carries, 153 yards on the ground, runs for four touchdowns, and breaks the Bengals franchise record for the most touchdowns scored by, by, a, by, by a player in a single game. And he joins the list of Jerry Rice, Jonathan Taylor, Clinton Porter, Sean Alexander, and Jamal Charles as the only players with 200 scrimmage yards and five scrimmage touchdowns in a game in the Super Bowl era uh, circa 1966. So it's great. Joe Mixon had a great game. God bless him. Happy form. We actually found a way to win a football game where Joe Burden doesn't have to drop back and throw the ball 35 times. But why did it take so long? Why did it take to week nine for us to get us a game like this? Why did it have to take us to get embarrassed on Monday Night Football to the Cleveland Browns and have everybody and their mother scream and yell and mock and humiliate the Bengals and the Bengals and turn to humiliate themselves in order for us to get a game like this? Why does it always have to be a reactionary with Zach Taylor and have to be and him all of a sudden look like Vince Lombardi when he when he looks like Richie Kotite, you know the week the week before in 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 with these games, I I don't get it. Be proactive, Zach, instead of reactive. Be innovative on the front end instead of being innovative, quote unquote innovative or reactionary or copycat on the back end. I don't get it. We should Joe Maker should be running football like this like all season long at this point, but. Better late than never. He has a career day. Five touchdown day. Joe Burrow, 22-28. Uh, 206, one touchdown pass. Barely broke a sweat. And he's also, uh, and he at least prior to the Sunday night game with uh, Kansas City and the Titans, was the leader in the clubhouse in terms of passing yards in the National Football League. With Bengals, he kept business 42-21. All offensive uh, starters got the, uh, got the second half off after they scored the touchdown in the third quarter. Uh, a couple of interceptions from uh, got a couple of interceptions uh, from uh, Jesse Bates and Jermaine Pratt. So when the Bengals create, uh, create turnovers, they were able to create a few turnovers uh, last week against Cleveland. Couldn't capitalize this week. They were able to capitalize off of the two P.J. Walker interceptions, and he was absolutely atrocious. Uh, in the game, three of ten, nine yards passing, and two interceptions. Carolina can run the football uh, with uh, Foreman after a f- after a couple back-to-back uh, premier rushing uh, rushing performances, and the Bengals had this game wrapped up at halftime. But again, come out of the bye and 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 just kick the hell out of your opponents. That's basically all I gotta say because your chances right now are okay they're not exactly very promising. 5-4 heading into the bye this year feels different than 5-4 heading into the bye last year. So, it's my humble opinion, it's best for the Bengals not to plan on losing another football game the rest of the season. Or to go a good month without losing one. Again, 8-1, I'll accept 7-2. But realistically, they need to go 9-0. Thirteen, t- less than uh, 10, and, ten and seven ain't gonna be good enough to win the division this year. It's not, and if they plan on their easiest way of going of getting back a Super Bowl, and that's having the home playoff game in the opening round. They might as well get ten and seven out of their head right now. They might as well get ten. Might as well get ten and seven and eleven and six out of their head right now. No worse than twelve and five. Thirteen and four. That's item number one. Item number two: The Seattle Seahawks are six and three. In no in early November in two thousand and twenty-two, the Seattle Seahawks are six and three. Beat the Arizona Cardinals thirty-one to twenty-one. Geno Smith six games this season with a passer rating over a hundred that leads the National Football League. Uh, he had a he had a very good game. Uh, 26 of 34, 275, two interceptions, did throw the pick six. But what Geno Smith has been able to do, to his credit, throughout this season, he's been when he makes the mistake and when things get tough, things get hairy with Seattle, they're able to bounce back, brush the dirt off the shoulders, onto the next play, and they play championship-caliber football. Geno Smith's a hell of a leader, done a sensational job for him this season, Kenneth Walker the third, what in the world could you say about him that you haven't said about him already? Tremendous runner of the football, twenty six carries, a buck on nine, two touchdown receptions. Noah Fant had a uh, had a very good afternoon catching the football as well, but the Seattle Seahawks, you know, give them tremendous credit. It could have been an opportunity where where Geno Smith's pick six could have snowballed and could have led to a could have led to an avalanche that would have put that team behind the eight ball in in a game that they, you know, a game that they were you know could have been expected to lose. But give them credit, they stuck with it. They didn't give up. Geno Smith brushed again on onto the next play. Short memory, played very well the rest of the game after that said mistake, and the Seattle Seahawks win the game by ten. And as for you, what you can say with the Arizona Cardinals, how Kyler Murray and uh, Cliff Kingsbury got a contract extension prior to this season? I will never. I could live to be hundred and twenty years old. I would. I never, ever, ever. Under would be able to understand and comprehend why those two jokers got a contract extension prior to this season, and and if the and I'd love to say I I feel sorry for the Bidwells, but hell, they're the ones that they're, they're the ones that gave them the extension, they're the ones that signed their paychecks. If they have buyer's remorse at this point, it's a you problem. It's on them. It ain't on anybody else because everybody in the universe told you that you had zero business. Giving these guys a contract extension, and you get and, and you gave him and you gave it to him anyway. Be, why? Because Kyle honestly you can't want you can't be competitive without the big time quarterback. But still, it, it, you there's better. I not say there's better options right now than Kyler Murray. But you know good and well that Kyler Murray ain't going to win you a Super Bowl. So what the hell are you wasting your time and your money to give him a contract extension? If, and Cliff Kingsbury can't coach his way out of a paper bag if the fate of the universe depended on it. That's all there is to it. And then you had the Rams and the Buccaneers. Uh, let me tell you. I, I'll do the Rams first. The Rams, ladies and gentlemen, stink. The Rams stink. If there was a battle of the Super Bowl hangovers and if there was a team that is coming off of their hangover better than the other, it shockingly would be the Cincinnati Bengals. After the wishy-washy inconsistent season that they've had, they are having a better season and not in the way that I expected them to, but they're having a better season than the Rams. Who are at three and five and essentially are one loss away from saying good night for the 2022 NFL season? Matthew Stafford is Matthew Stafford is just his play has hit the wall. Thirteen of 165 passing yards. The Rams left guard stinks. Got teed off on by Villavea, especially all game long. Got sacked four times. QBR of thirty-two point one. It's just the offensive line is is a complete mess. They they have they cannot run the football. They don't try to run the football. Henderson can't run the ball worth the damn. Cam makers who they tried to get who they tried to trade away. They they couldn't find they couldn't find any suitors for him. So they had no choice to bring him back for five carries and three yards on Sunday. It's it's again it's the Cooper Cup show or nobody else. What is giving the ball to Allen Robinson throwing the ball to him only got targeted five times for three receptions, twenty four yards receiving. Tyler Higby's not a factor. Got got targeted one time. Their tight end might as well not even have showed up to Tampa on us on you know over the weekend. It's the Cooper Cup showing nobody at all. Eight receptions, 127 yards, one touchdown catch. The to catch and run, 69 yards to the house. But unless you have Cooper Cup on your fantasy team, who the hell cares? Because this Rams offense it, it has fallen off and hitting the ground rather. Rather hard. This, this, it's it's bad offensive line. It's the Cooper Cup show or nothing else. I thought the Rams going to win this game. I When, when I said it was going to be the Cooper Cup show and essentially a repeat of the divisional championship game minus the Cam Akers fumbles, I didn't anticipate this. I anticipated the Rams to find a way to get to score uh, at least 20 to 21 points twenty fourth you're kick in a couple of field goals, I mean because the bucks defense isn't all isn't that isn't that good, but you all if they only get get you thirteen points and were held scoreless in the first and fourth quarter that for a Bucks defense that hasn't looked this good essentially since last season. I mean, I mean that, that that's just completely unacceptable. Offensive line was bad. The the Buccaneers defense had a field Buccaneers. Petrus had a, had, a, had a field day. The Rams were four fifteen on third downs. They averaged three point seven uh, yards per play. Only two hundred and six yards of total offense. Just pathetic and terrible. And they ha- and their offense was so bad that they are just as much to blame as the Rams defense for 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 the Buccaneers winning this game. And I'll get to that in a minute. There were plenty of opportunities where the Rams offense had a chance up uh, ten up ten six up thirteen to six, and the Rams couldn't pull pull away. Buccaneers turn over the ball on downs. They can only muster the kick a field goal the into insul- their next possession. Buccaneers, six plays, nine yards after the uh, Rams kick a field goal. The Rams get the ball right back, three plays, negative one yard of offense. They have to punt. Go down field score, a touchdown. They put together at least two touchdowns, two offensive drives that end in touchdowns in the second half. The Rams win the game. They kept the Bucs in that game from essentially beginning to end. They kept him in the game, and it came back. And when and and I listen, me the idiot sitting up here saying, going on a diatribe saying how the guy is washed. He might have been washed for for about fifty nine minutes and and twenty five seconds, to be sure as hell wasn't wa- washed during the final thirty five seconds because that was vintage Tom Brady. You give, you keep, you keep the Buccaneers hanging around, and look at what Brady does. Similar similar scenario to the playoff game where he doesn't play his best game. He's knocked around left and right. The you know there isn't a perfect cohesion with his receivers and with the offense. But they can't run. They could. They did not. Again, they are one of the worst running football teams in the sport. Ran the ball 20 times for only 51 yards on the ground. Didn't have a great day. Brady didn't have his best day, but he got up, brushed dirt off his shoulders, and continued to scratch, fight, and claw back, keeping his team in the game against all odds. And what happened? The Rams got an opportun- The Rams had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to put the game away. After the Bucks turnover on downs and their drive fell flat inside the red zone, they got the ball at their own seven-yard line. And McVeigh, who was way, 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 way too conservative in that drive, it's it's a similar situation which I discussed with the uh, with the Dolphins and the Bears. At when you're when you're backed up at your own seven yard line, granted there was only one fifty two left on the clock and, st- and the and the Buccaneers had two timeouts compared to the one timeout the Bears had, and about three minutes left. When you're back up inside your own territory, you need yardage, Ru- running out the clock, running out the clock when there's more than eighty seconds left in regulation. And a, and a, and your opponent has at least one timeout. In Tampa's case, they had two. And you're backed up inside your own fifteen yard line. You need getting yards and and moving the chains is is more important and more vital than milking the clock and getting your opponent to use the timeouts than keeping the ball in bounds and just have making sure the clock tick 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 tick, tick ticks. In that situation, you need yards. Rams couldn't get couldn't find any. First and ten. First and ten, give the ball up to Henderson. Rams have ran the ball all day. All day. Gives the ball to Henderson. Gets no yards. Second and ten gives the gives the gives the ball to uh, gives the ball to Cooper Cup on a little reverse run pattern play. And he falls down inbounds. again, Cooper, when there's when you got the ball with one fifty-two left. Inside your own 10-yard line and the Bucks had two timeouts to work with. First downs in the game. Okay? There's too much time on the clock to where if the Rams, get, or excuse me, if the Bucks even gets a couple of stops, you know, they're going to get the ball back with at least 40-ish seconds left. Okay? You got the ball with a few ticks after the two-minute warning. 152 inside your own 7-yard line. You need yards, and you need to keep you, know, you need to keep advancing the ball down the field. It's not as important for you to keep the ball inbounds, stay in bounds, keep the clock moving, and have the Buccaneers use use their timeouts because there's still a lot of time left on the clock. The only way for you to counter the the only uh, 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 response and counterpunch to the to there being a lot of time left on the clock is getting first downs, keeping the defense on the field and keeping the drive going, collecting yards and keeping the chains moving. Because the further and further and further you march down the field, the less and less uh, this the, the, the more and more you shorten your field, you take away the uh, the opportunity for the defense to ha- to to force a three and out and have them punt the ball back to Tampa. What happens Cup stays in bounds. They get the five yards. Third and five. McVay, do you throw it with Cooper Cup, who's killed the Buccaneers all game long? No. You run it with Daryl Henderson, again, to only get one yard, and you end up having to force yourself the punt. Buccaneers manipulate their timeouts properly. They get the ball back with a a little less than under a minute to go in regulation. What does Brady do? The great Brady dinks, you know, bing, 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 bam. 35 seconds, you end up losing a game. McVay went from pumping his fist, confident he was going to win the game, to mortified during the headlights, what the heck did I just witness? All in the span of 35 seconds. Six plays, 60 yards, TB12 magic, and the Bucks steal a game. They had zero business in winning. None. And why? And if you're Jalen Ramsey, okay, Jalen Ramsey, one of the most overrated cornerbacks in the National Football League, in which I've pat at my chest and screamed from the heavens this point for, for years, for about two years now. Screaming up from the heavens about how overrated Jalen Ramsey is. Again, one more time, if it wasn't for Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey wouldn't be a Super Bowl champion. He'd be getting made fun of and mocked to the levels of Eli Apple because Jamar Chase had him beat down the right sideline. And if Joe Burrow has an extra two and a half, two seconds left to throw the football, we're having a totally separate conversation. Hell this football season is probably totally different this year if if the if if Aaron Donald gets blocked on that on that fourth and two in the Super Bowl. But anyway, that's not a here nor there. I've told you all for about two years now about how overrated Jalen Ramsey is. We're we'll the most overrated cornerbacks in all of the National Football League. I gotta listen and I gotta read quotes of Jalen Ramsey getting on his offense and throwing his offense underneath the bus when his secondary was a sieve. They played perfect for all they played perfect for 59 minutes and 20 something seconds. They played perfect. And the one time they need, and they need. Okay, I understand none of their fault. McVeigh's piss poor play going can't work the clock, they, they can't move the ball down the field worth the crap, they can't get a first down. I understand that, but still, elite Super Bowl caliber defense with Ramsey and Aaron Donald, who all I heard about for months is who's the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. And your defense allows Brady to essentially orchestrate. His best drive of the season. This offense has been disgusting to watch and boring all season long. And you somehow, someway, when they had no timeouts left, got the ball at their own 40-yard line, so perfect field position. None, again, to your fault. But 44 seconds left, no timeouts, and you let Tom Brady march up and down the field, six plays, 60 yards, essentially averaging 10 yards per uh, per play and allow them to march down the field and score a touchdown and steal a game like that? Really? Really? You're Jalen Ramsey calling out your offense when your defense cracked your pants and allowed Tom Brady to look like himself from two years ago? Hell, last year's version of Tom? Really? Your defense just gave up the the best offensive drive and the most complete fluid offensive drive of the season to one of the worst offenses in the National Football League. And I got to hear Jalen Ramsey getting on the, the Rams defense or Rams offense. Again, they couldn't move the ball. McVeigh got conservative. They were more occupied on keeping the ball inbounds and working the clock rather than getting yardage and getting first downs. I understand that the fact that they got one stop inside the red zone and you thought it was going to be enough and the Rams offense couldn't do their part, fair, I'll buy it. They got perfect field position because the Rams were backed up and they didn't get a great punt, I grant you that. But Ramsey, worry about you and your defense. The fact that you that you and everybody in your 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 fellow position men in 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 the in the, in the C B room were lining up ten eleven twelve yards off the wide receivers, playing 10, 11 yards off the guy, allowing allowing allowing. Uh, Allowing uh, uh, Scotty Miller, Leonard Fournette, to to and Mike Evans to to line up with with all the separation in the world, run a little five yard out out route out pattern, catch the ball, step out of bounds, stop the clock. And I gotta hear Ramsey moaning, groaning about the offense. Worry about your own job, Ramsey. Okay. Make make sure your business taken care of first before you start throwing stones at glass houses. I got to listen to Jalen Ramsey now. Jalen Ramsey, who who wasn't exactly uh, Deion Sanders in the Super Bowl last year. I got to listen to Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. Really? We'll see if this win catapults the Buccaneers to possibly win the NFC uh, South. Chiefs went on Sunday night football, 20-17, uh, in a game that they absolutely stole. This game basically, ladies and gentlemen, came down to the fact that Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Tennessee Titans had Malik Willis. Malik Willis only completed five passes for 80 yards, and Patrick Mahomes completed 43 passes for 446 yards and one touchdown pass. That, 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 was, that, that was it. That, that was your difference in the game. Forget the fact that Derek Henry, who was phenomenal, seven carries for 115 yards on the ground, two touchdown uh, rushes, uh, and then the Titans inexplicably, during periods in the second half, took him out of the game. Why well, I have no idea. And the Chiefs, you know, who, who can who like the Rams, can't run the football. Don't bother. Don't bother to run the football. Bell out on running the football, and don't even attempt most times to run the football. So when my, Patrick Mahomes my is, is your leading rusher with six carries, you got problems. But having said all of that, MVP performance 43 of 68, 446, one passing touchdown, ran for a touchdown, 63 yards on the ground, six carries. Titans defense got after him, sacked him four times. But I mean, Travis Kelsey, career, uh, Travis Kelsey had another fantastic night 10 receptions, 106. Juju smith Shoesers had put together a couple of nice games, 10 receptions, and 88 yards of receiving. The problem is with the Titans is that you allowed Mahomes to take over the game. They were too many times, third and long, you had an opportunity to get off the field and you couldn't, had a chance to, you know, to, to, to force Kansas City to a field goal, you couldn't because you let Mahomes take over the game. And I don't understand, you know. And they got after him, again, they sacked him four times, but... They they gotta they gotta have some faster guys on defense. Pa- Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes running makes me out to be Tyree Kill. He's so damn slow. And 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 the, as my football for whatever reason falls down off of my uh, off my uh, display case, they, they you couldn't get after Tyre, you couldn't get after uh, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes runs like a four seven forty. I mean, again, he makes me out to be Tyree Kill. He runs so damn slow. And the Titans and the Titans were chasing after Mahomes' tail all night long. So the the lack of speed on defense reared its ugly head in, in a whole lot of ways during the loss on Sunday night. And again, Mahomes took over the game. Mahomes took over the game. Titans couldn't catch Mahomes when he was scrambling and running around all over the place. And the Titans have a quarterback that threw the ball only sixteen times. And Malik Willis is not going to win a QB battle against Patrick Mahomes. He's going to get eaten alive by the by the by the Chiefs' pass rush, and he's going to get eaten alive every single time. And certain and the Titans in certain formations running you know running plays with this young and inexperienced quarterback sending only two wide receivers deep ain't doing him any favors either. But the Chiefs somehow, someway win that game. Take care of business. MVP-like performance from Patrick Mahomes. They improved the 6-2 on the season and remain in first place in the AFC West. And then lastly, the Baltimore Ravens. How about the game that Justin Houston had last night? An absolutely sensational night at the office for him. Lamar Jackson, 12-22, 133 A passing touchdown. Got sacked three times. Uh Ravens, uh, Ravens had their moments where you fig- where they got a little sloppy uh, late in the second half. Uh, you know, not not being able to get the snap off in times. Harbaugh using timeouts, the bad challenge by Harbaugh, which cost the Ravens one of the timeouts, which in a closer game come playoff time might come back to bite the Ravens in the ass. If I was a Ravens fan, I'd be concerned about that. But Kay and Drake ran the ball phenomenally well in place of J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. No, uh, Mark Andrews played last night. As Mark Andrews didn't play last night as well. Throw that into the equation. 24 carries, 93 yards on the ground. Two touchdowns for Kenyon Drake. Uh, and, in that, and Lamar in the Ravens offense did just enough to get the job done. And it was basically a game that was won predominantly uh, by the Ravens defense, which made Annie Dalton's life a living hell. Uh got it, sacked him four times. Dalton threw an interception, didn't run the foot, stopped the run. The, the, Alan Kamara only ran for 30 yards on nine carries uh, and, and just made Andy Dalton's life a living. Held incompletions left to right, overthrowing wide receivers uh in the end zone, in the red zone, Andy Dalton did. Missed key opportunities for Andy Dalton to make the Ravens give to make the Ravens give something to think about heading into halftime. Uh, in their last final drive before the half, 12th, they went 12th place, 60 yards, and Olave was wide open, where all Andones has got to do is just drop that in the bread basket, and he walks into the end zone for a touchdown, and it's 14-7, Baltimore heading into halftime instead, drive stalls out. Saints had to settle for a field goal, and that essentially was the story, the entire night for the New Orleans Saints. So the Saints are dead. The Ravens are alive and well, and could be emerging themselves as that third team in the AFC to threaten Buffalo and and uh, Kansas City as the AFC's juggernauts that could be Super Bowl contenders. They are fought their what uh, six and three heading into the bye. 6-3 and three heading into the bye. They play one game in 20-something days. Their next game isn't until November 20th at home against Carolina. They are 12.5-point favorites as of this moment in time right now. They have won three games in a row. They have not lost a game since uh, October 16th in are 24-20 loss to the Giants. Ravens are flying high. The Bengals, like I said to begin this segment, have no margin for error the rest of the season. We take a break. I will get to Jeff Saturday being named the new head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. This is the Until I I podcast. welcome back 20th anniversary of this uh, glorious album over the weekend shout out Justin Timberlake as we welcome you as we welcome you back to the Amantle is podcast uh there's some news that broke on Monday uh regarding uh the Indianapolis Colts they fired head coach uh, Frank Reich uh head coach and offensive play caller for the Indianapolis Colts. They fired him uh on a Monday, of course, after their uh, pathetic loss uh to the uh to the New England Patriots on Sunday afternoon in which uh, Sam Ellinger, their quarterback, got sacked a total of uh, nine times in the game. As hard as that is uh as hard as that is to believe and uh, the breaking news broke on uh on Monday uh on Monday night that they had named uh uh Jeff Saturday. They had named Jeff Saturday their ex their ex Peyton Manning's old uh center. They named him uh their new uh their new NFL uh not the new NFL, their new uh interim. Uh, head coach in their twenty six to three loss to the New England Pages on Sunday. They named him their new uh, head coach. And there's been a lot of reaction, head scratching, a lot uh just a, a lot has been made and talked about of that uh, of that decision, and rightfully so, of of hiring a guy that never coached at the at the and at the college, let alone the NFL level, with no head coaching experience outside of a high school team in 2020, no experience whatsoever, and all of a sudden he gets the head coaching job of the National Football League, uh, you know, head coach of the, uh, of the Annapolis Coast and National Football League, and gets passed up on players that have never had a coaching job before that are on the coaching staff, such as uh, such as uh, Reggie Wayne, the ex a wider series for the Colts, just to name a few, but uh, but it's just it's just I, I don't I mean I get it on two accounts, and there has been a lot of uh, discussion made as a, it's been a lot of discussion made as a result of it. And let me just try to talk my talk my way through this chaos. On one hand, if you want to scream and yell, and if you want to claim this is the NFL and their good old boys club, uh, you know, uh, you know, striking yet again uh, with and the owners doing a piss poor job of lack of inclusion, lack of diversion, lack of black uh, men getting opportunities to coach NFL football teams at the head coaching level. If you want to scream. And yell to the heavens, and you want to, uh, and you want to uh, harp on that point and drive that point home. I don't disagree with you. I won't stop you, and I, I, and you don't have a wrong opinion. You don't have a wrong opinion. It's a right opinion. It's an educated opinion. It's a, you're not wrong. You're not wrong on that thinking whatsoever. Because and, and and there is a loophole to where you know the ruling Rule doesn't apply when it comes to finding coaches on an interim basis. It only applies for finding coaches on you know for if to get to you know when you're finding a full time. You know, new head coach. It doesn't apply for coaches on the interim basis. And that, if that's the loophole and they take advantage of it, you hate it. But there's loopholes in everything in this life. And 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 the Rooney Rule thing with the interim head coaches ain't the first, and it sure as hell ain't gonna be the last. But if you want to scream that uh, that Jim Irsay, that Jim, that shame on Jim Ursay for hiring an ex-player that has no head coaching experience and bypassing Reggie Wayne and bypassing. Uh, experienced head coaches in National Football League, both white and black, that have a a ton of much more coaching experience than Jeff Saturday does. If you want to scream a yell to the heavens and and shame on Jim Ursa and him making a mockery out of position, I have no problems with that whatsoever. My only thing is, and I'll get to Ursa and I'll redirect my attention to Ursa in a minute. My only rebuttal is, what if this wasn't, what if the hiring of Jeff Saturday was done on purpose? Like Jeff Saturday, when I, I know what he said in this press conference in terms of not wanting a guy that is basically, you know, a slave to analytics and is going to go off his gut because he played the game and this, that, and the other. But what if he, cho- what if he hired Jeff Saturday to on purpose in the, in the aspect of him tanking. Now you can, now we all know in professional sports nobody, no team, no organization, nobody comes out you know and and, and says out of the you know and basically says. You know, I, it says, hey, you know, hey, we're tanking, we're punting on the season. We're not, you know, we're not going to try to win. We're going to tr- put our t- organization, put our team in, in the worst possible position to, to succeed and do our best to basically put a horse crap team on the field so we can lose as many games as possible so we can get a top five pick, if not the first overall pick in a draft and, and get us and try to basically rebuild our, our franchise from the ground up. You know, so no organization comes right out, comes right out and, and, and says that. But what if it was Jim Ursay and the Colts through this move saying it indirectly? What if they hired Jim Ursay? And this and this is not a wild thought of me thinking this and saying this. What if it was we're punting on the season? We might as well not go through and break our balls to try to hire an experienced head coach or hire a head coach with NFL experience hasn't coached in a while, ruin his resume, ruin his win-loss record because, albeit tanking or not, the wins and losses do count on, when, it, when, you look at, when you look at NFL head coach's uh, career uh, record. Wins and losses do matter when it comes to individuals in terms of evaluating head coaches. Why ruin John Fox's uh, 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 John Fox's uh, win-loss record if he plans on being an NFL head coach? Why bother? If Reggie Wayne wants to coach an NFL team in the future, why ruin and tank his record and tank his reputation before it gets started, and let's just hire some. You know, let's just hire a quarterback, or excuse me, an ex-center of a team that's won a Super Bowl for us. That I, that I, that I, that I, that I know, that I like, that knows football, that has a job on ESPN. will pay him essentially next to nothing and have him coach the team for the next three months, and then re-evalu- reevaluate. You know, the head coaching position at the season's end. Because if you look where Indianapolis is, the, granted they're only two games back of the uh, one and a half, two games back of the Titans for in first place in the AFC South. But everybody knows that if the Indianapolis goes by some miracle win the division or make the playoffs, that they're not that they're not as a Walker team that they're not going to the Super Bowl. Everybody, everybody in their mother knows they're not making the Super Bowl. Granted, they have a layup game against the against the uh, two the two out of their next three games are against soft against piss-poor teams, and the likes of the Raiders and the Steelers, but they got a game against the Colts on November the 20th. They got to play the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Chargers, and the Giants consecutively. Cowboys, Vikings, Chargers, and the Giants from from December 4th to New Year's Day for, for a month. The Colts, Vikings, Chargers, and Giants, and the Eagles November 20th. That's one, two, three, four, five losses right there. And the Colts sitting at three, five, and one, that's what that would give them, what? One, two, three, four, five. That'd give them 10 losses already. And the tie doesn't help their quote-unquote tanking efforts. It hurts it. It helps their winning percentage. It hinders their position in the draft for 2023. So those are five games right now that I'm willing to bet the farm on them losing. So that's already ten losses. Ten losses obviously is not going to be good enough even if they do beat the beat the Raiders. Even if they do beat Pittsburgh. That's that's five losses right there that I will give them ten. They already have five losses through the first half of the season that's going to play them out of playoff contention right there in and of itself even if they do find a way to beat the raiders this week they beat the raiders this week okay they're four five and one they lose to the eagles next week that's four six and one then they win the following week that's five six and one they're still above 500 and they got those four, and then they got those four other games I mentioned. That's, again, would put them at 10 losses. So if you're the Colts, would it would it be worth it when Jonathan Taylor is out and, and injured? Your defense isn't that good. Offense, one of the worst in the sport, which is why you fired Frank Reich. Your, your, your roster has been inept. Would it make the most sense to get a head coach, and and if it's a first-time head coach who's never been a head coach in that football league before, would it be worth tanking his reputation, or not in his reputation or his record, to go out and get an experienced head coach, especially a young one that either has never co- coached before or wants to coach, be a head coach sometime in their NFL coaching career, and would it make sense to bring them in? coach this garbage and then go out there and try to find a job someplace else outside of the coach organization to which they'll always be employed a la if you're Reggie Wayne I'm not saying that's not what Ursay's motive was per se but I'm saying there's a good chance that there's there's a decent chance that was that 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 might be Ursay's way to go with this decision of hiring Saturday and he just can't say it more than it is Ursay and I understand Ursay is not uh he's not Robert Kraft and he does and you know not and not all and not all and the stairway doesn't go all the way to the top in Ursay's head. But I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility, not saying that that's the definite finite truth of the matter, fact of the matter. I'm saying that's a possibility. I'm, I'm bringing it up as as a possible other side of the coin. Because honestly, if you're looking at it objectively and from a football perspective, it makes sense objectively, emotions out of it, looking at it strictly as from a football mindset. It makes sense. I'll bring in an inexperienced guy that probably has no plans of being NFL head coach, you know, doing it for the rest of his adult life after retirement. We'll give him this job, give him something to do, have him try it out for the first time, see if he likes it, close with the organization, close with the owner, beloved by the fan base. We'll give him a we'll give him a job, give him an opportunity, give him a chance. If he hates it, he doesn't have to come back. And if we lose, essentially lose that the rest of the season, we get ourselves to the top five draft pick. We give ourselves an opportunity to start from scratch and, and try to find our next Andrew Luck. Not exactly that far fetched of an idea or a way of thinking. And again, Ursay can't come out and say that. Because when, cause when I first saw this, I thought the first thing that came into my mind I all they're tanking. They're bringing in the inexperienced head coach on purpose. They're bringing it, they got an off, they got that they named their new offensive play call a guy who's never called plays before on purpose for the game against the very, on purpose because they're trying to lose games. Duh. Like, like it. Now, listen, and this is coming from, this comes from a black man. Who net who does not hesitate to call out and get on these NFL owners and to call out racism and discrimination within the sport or within sports in general when when I when I see it and when I suspect it when I de- and when I uh, uh, detect it. But the fact of the matter of it is that was the first I got to be honest got to be fair that's the first thing that popped into my head. First thing that popped into my head I was like Colts are tanking. Because because it is because uh, because outside of going to the racism, uh, the the racism or not the racism, but outside of of going to the the anti Rooney rule and the good old boys club, you know, keep it in house country club, you know, secretive. Instead of going to that angle, that's the that that's the that's the only thing. Maybe it's me giving Urse the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's me being a conspiracy theorist. Who the hell knows? But that I gotta be fair. Gotta be honest. That's the first thing that popped into my head. First thing, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Urse is 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 this that? It was the first thing. He's tanking. He picked an experienced guy on purpose because he do not want. He's because he he's not gonna come right out and say it because he's gotta sell tickets and And tanking is kind of like you know a thing that isn't in sports that isn't that isn't said out loud. it's more of something that's done you know y the- it's more something that's done on the field more than it is getting getting behind a microphone and saying it publicly because it's because albeit it's accepted in sports. It's it's frowned upon, you know, when speaking about it and 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 putting and you know, it's it's frowned upon speaking about it and admitting it. But everybody knows and has accepted it within sports today in two thousand and twenty two. But that's my thought process. He did it on he hired Saturday on purpose because he wants his team to tank so they can get a top five draft pick and land, and see if they can land one of these quarterbacks coming out in the draft. Taylor's been hurt. They know, that they, they know that even if they somehow win the division and the Titans somehow don't, that their chances of making the playoffs is slim to freaking none. They know they will be AFC Team 7 out of 7 out of the 7 teams that would end up making the playoffs this year. So they so they sit up back and they figure why waste their time? Why why continue to go through go go through this hamster wheel? Phillip Rivers didn't work out. I mean they worked out, but they end up losing the playoff game. Phillip Rivers didn't work. Uh Carson Wentz obviously let him down. And uh and um and Matt Ryan separated his shoulder and he got benched. So they figure, what the hell? Have Sam Ellinger, who stinks, have him start, and bring in an, and bring in a guy who's never coached before. That's my thought process. Have him have no idea what the hell he's doing on purpose. Make him look bad. If he never wants to coach again, his head coaching record doesn't mean anything. Don't tank, tank or tarnish anybody else's head coaching record. Who still plans on who you know who plans on working outside of the Colts organization, being NFL head coach, and then just go from there. That that was my that's my thoughts on it, and that's the other side of the coin when it comes to evaluating you know this Jeff Saturday hire. Outside of the fact that you know you're bypassing Flores, you're bypassing you know all these other uh, NFL head coaching candidates who are black and also who are white that deserves a second opportunity a la, you know, Marvin Lewis, for example. Marvin Lewis, among other NFL head coaches and, uh, you know, who who, who aren't in, uh, in the league head coaching, you know, as head coaches right now, you bypass them to hire a guy that doesn't have any experience. So... I I I anticipate this is going to go as well as Ursay privately wants it to go. It'll blow up in his face and uh and the Colts will end up with the worst record in the sport. Top five draft pick. Because uh because if they don't and actually think that they have a chance to win and produce then Jim Irsay needs to look himself in the mirror and like reevaluate his life choices, his life decisions, and ponder on whether or not he thinks he still should be the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Because if he still thinks that it's that that he has a legitimate chance to win, which he gave the impression to with, with the media on Monday night, then we got bigger fish to fry. And Chris Ballard on his high horse, shut the hell up. You ought to thank your lucky... You ought to hit your knees every single night and thank the good Lord above that you're still employed. Because if it was me, your ass would be out right at, right behind Frank Reich. I don't want to hear this garbage. Well, you can't fire GM in the middle of the season. Bull crap. He deserved to be fired after the debacle in Jacksonville back in January. So if I was Chris Ballard, I'd keep my mouth, I'd keep my mouth shut. And... I'm giving Ursae the benefit of the doubt that there better be a start process him tanking. Because if he legit thinks he has a chance in hell to compete with a guy that's never been a head coach on any level, college or pro before, he's in for a rude awakening. Let me tell you. Rude awakening. We take a break. We will recap and put a bow on the 2022 World Series to close out the show. This is the M um, TIS Podcast. We welcome you back to the M um, Podcast. Wrapping things up with the 2022 World Series. Your Astros are the 2022 World Series Champions. Winning about a final score of four to one. Couple of takeaways in game uh in game uh number six that I want to uh, address here before we say goodbye uh I do not fault uh Thompson a lot of people I heard were uh, saying were fault were getting on Thompson for taking Zach Wheeler uh for taking Zach Wheeler out of the game in the uh in the bottom of the uh in the bottom of the uh 7th it was it the 7th it was the 6th it was 6th inning taking uh taking him out in the bottom of the 6th uh, inning Taking Zach Wheeler out after he gave up the uh, after he gave up the after he hit Maldonado to lead off the inning and gave up a uh, single to Jeremy Pena which put runners on first and third with uh, one out. I don't fault him. I bringing in Alvarado who wasn't good uh, and gave up and gave up the big inning to the uh, Cardinals in Game One and who struggled in this series. G- voting, getting in, uh, excuse me, bringing in Alvarado. I don't believe that was. I don't believe under under any circumstances that that was the best choice, So Breaking in Alvarado of who is a very puzzling head scratching decision that I grant you but taking uh but taking um uh wheeler out of the game, I do not fault or get on uh Zach wheel or get on uh Thompson for taking him out um under any uh under any circumstances i i don't and i don't and i don't fault them for that and i'll tell you why the way that that inning was going you could tell at least i did you could tell that the that the houston nationals are going to have a big inning and that they're going to find a way to take the lead and blow the game open you you if you if you did if you couldn't tell you weren't paying you weren't paying attention to the game properly this that, that game was that game was uh was the that game was one was one was started at a at one run one run a piece if you couldn't if you did know or if you couldn't notice or not one run a piece it was uh it was they were down one nothing if you couldn't get a grasp and couldn't figure out that the uh that the uh that the Houston Astros are going to blow that game open, and we're going to take, the, and we're and we're going to, and we're bound to take the lead in that bottom of the sixth inning with that big rally. You're not, you, you're not, you weren't paying attention to the game properly. Any nothing good in baseball. If I've learned anything, anything, in my years of watching baseball, is that nothing good ever happens or occurs after a leadoff walk or leadoff hit by pitch. Nothing good happens from a leadoff walk or leadoff hit by pitch. Nothing happened. Nothing ever, ever, rarely ever anything comes, especially in a postseason game, nothing good comes out of a leadoff hit by pitch or a leadoff walk. So I am not going to put Thompson in the Kevin Cash category of bonehead asinine decisions, you know, going off the analytics and and leaving, and leaving not leaving a guy in long enough for him to get himself out of trouble. The Houston Astros are going to have a big, it might not have been an, a Jordan Alvarez a uh, three-run home run, and Alvarez and Alvarez, who's who's uh, who's crushed lefties all postseason long, just ask uh, Robbie Ray, game one of the Seattle series. So again, Alvarado maybe not the bet, maybe not the best choice. And Alvarado does stink, and not excusing Alvarado for throwing that cookie right down the heart of the plate for Alvarez to hit 450 feet ball. He hit the ball so far that it would have cleared Taos Hill. If you remember Taos Hill at Minute, what a clear Taos Hill that ball was hit so far and hit so hard. So I'm not excusing Alvarado for his uh, for his piss poor uh, outing, but at the same time, it could have been Alvarado, it could have been Robertson, it could have been Zach Wheeler, how it could have been Mitch Williams out there on the mound. The Astros were going to have a big inning in that bottom of the sixth. They were going to have that big inning at the bottom of six. It doesn't matter who it was. It might not have been a three run home run. They might have would have had may may have only scored only two runs. But at that point, the way the Phillies were hitting, two runs was probably going to be the difference maker in the game anyway. So I so I am not going to be one that's going to kick and scream and go nuts. Because Thompson took out Wheeler, was it premature? And could you have made? And can you make the argument to leave him in because he wasn't that tired and your bullpen has been running on fumes to begin with anyway? Yeah, I yeah, I mean I can listen to it, but it's not. It, it wasn't a heinous decision. One a heinous decision. The Astros again beginning off. They were a, they were able to get to the Phillies pitching staff for the majority of the ser- of the uh, of, of the series anyway. They, they, come on. It's uh, I don't. It, it may be. It may be cringe-inducing, but it's not crazy and it's not heinous. To bring in Alvarado specifically, I can listen to. But to take Wheeler out, it's not as crazy, and not as ridiculous as a lot of people are making it out to be. Because the Astros were going to have a big in anyway, and I thought that if, and I had the and, and in real time, I had the thought of. If Thompson leaves Wheeler in the game, we're going to hear the argument of did he leave him in too long because Wheeler was doomed to give up a big hit anyway, hit by pitch and then a hard hit single by 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 Pena. So I so the thought process was swig- was swirling in my head where if he leaves him in to face one more batter too many with Alvarez coming up, Alvarez was going to take him deep. He takes him out, and Alvarez goes deep anyway. So, I, they, they, the Thompson was in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation anyway. I think that if he leaves Wheeler in the game, myself, I'm convinced. Maybe it's not a three run home run, maybe it's a two run RBI double, but the Astros take the lead and get a big hit in the bottom of the sixth inning. And again, the way that the Phillies were hitting throughout the game, and essentially since their five run. Uh, five-run game three. They they weren't going they weren't going to win the they weren't going to win the game and force a game seven to begin with anyway because they couldn't hit. They couldn't hit. Struck out constantly. I believe they struck out over seventy times. Uh, in this World Series in their in in this World Series was one of the worst. Uh, performances in the history of the world series striking out over 70 times in the six game series they couldn't they could after game one they could not hit they scored uh they scored in games four five and six they scored a combined three runs after their seven nothing game three victory where they hit the five home runs they scored a combined three runs in five games games four five and six they got outscored twelve to three in those three games. Twelve to three. They got outscored in games four, five, and six. Outscored twelve to three. Again, they could have had Mitch brought in Mitch Williams from the bullpen. Alvarez gonna have a big hit. A he was due. He hadn't done a damn thing uh, since the uh, since the aforementioned Mariners series. He was due. He was due. And the manners, and in, in, in the way, and you could get the feeling within the stadium, and the way that that game was going on Saturday night, you could feel within. You could feel it in your bones, and you could and you could sense it sense it that that game was about to hit its enormous turning point and that stadium and that and one Astros batter whether whether it was going to be uh, Alvarez or Bregman Tucker somebody coming up in that inning was going to give the Astros the big hit to put them out in front the only question was the only question was who was going to provide it and what kind of hit was it going to be and it turns out it was Alvarez with the three-run home run and that's ironic that he that he starts, because the Astros their their first postseason win came came circa a clutch, a three run walk off home run off for of Robbie Ray in Game One of the ALDS against the uh, against Seattle. He started their uh, postseason run, if you will, in Game One against Seattle, and he empt- and he ended it. With his 3 run home run against the Phillies off of Alvarado in game six on Saturday night. But in between, but game one, game two against Seattle, and then game six. Games, game three against the Mariners. Games one through four against the Yankees. And in games one through five against the Phillies, he did nothing. Games one and two against Seattle. And in game six on Saturday night, Alvarez... Was was a, was a complete and utter force to be reckoned with. Started out hot, cooled off, and then got hot again when it mattered the most, and hit a home run that no Houston Astros fan that witnessed it live, whether in person or on television, will will ever soon forget. But again, don't fault Thompson. Alvarez starts and runs the postseason run for Houston, uh, and the Phillies and the Phillies couldn't hit. They could not hit. Another thing, you got to give the Houston, you got to give the Houston Nationals, bullpen a ton of credit. Bullpen with Nerys, Abreu, Presley lights out. Only gave up one hit on Saturday night struck out struck out uh t- struck out two batters they were lights out in game 6 they were lights out in game 5 with Naris Abreu Montero and Presley coming in there allowing only two combined hits one ru- uh, one run montero in game 5 walk two and walk two batters game 4 they shut out they shut out the Phillies, of course with the combined no-hitter which we discussed and uh and in the game two and in the game two victory, Montero and Presley back into the bullpen, a combined two hits allowed, one run by Presley, and the Astros five two victory in game two. And well of course they and they were they put on a virtuoso performance Against the uh, Manners in their in in that uh, eighth in that nothing nothing marathon that lasted 18 innings up in Seattle in Game Three and they were perfect against the Yankees, uh, in their four-game uh, series sweep in the ALCS. Astros woman did a phenomenal job. Uh, Valdez starting pitching. I mean, what I mean, what more could you say? Uh, He, he, in game two, six in the third, four hits, one run allowed, struck out nine in game two. Game six on Saturday night, six innings of two hit, one run, nine strikeout baseball. You can argue he deserved the MVP with his two performances, but a sensational job by Valdez, sensational job by the bullpen, Presley was, was, for the most part, unhittable, Throughout this postseason run, Alvarez starts and ends the Astros postseason run, uh, respectively, with with, uh, clutch three-run home runs. I don't fault Thompson for taking out Wheeler. He was in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, In my honest opinion... And lastly, to close out the sec the Astros were going to have a big sixth thing, regardless. The way that that game was going and the momentum within, in the positive momentum and the positive, ambitious anxiety uh, and energy within that crowd on Saturday night, the Astros were going to have a big inning come hell to high water. It was just a matter of what Phillies pitcher, were they going to have the big inning off of, and it ended up being... Uh, Alvarado, so I don't fault uh, Thompson for that decision. And lastly, before we put a bow on this World Series, or second to lastly, uh, the Astros are not a dynasty. You know, the, 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 in order for a team to consist of a dynasty is that they got to have either back-to-back, They during their period of time, they got to have back-to-back championships and or they got to win... Three titles in a five and or six year period. The back to back to be considered a mini dynasty with the third one coming, with you know a year in between or two or or two years after that back to back, for you to be a dynasty, or when three in a row or when three and five, three and four or three and six, the Astros winning two championships in six seasons. Two championships in five years does not, in my eyes, especially with the first one being tainted because they cheated, it does not constitute, in my mind, as a dynasty. Their first championship was in 17. The next one didn't come till five years later in 2022. In that time span, they lost the ALCS to the to the uh, to the uh, Red Sox. They lost the World Series at home in 19. They lost the ALCS to the uh, to the Rays in 20. They lost the World Series in 21 to the Braves, and then they won this one. So they lost two World Series and two ALCSs in between in between World Series championships. That, in my you want to call them an AL dynasty, an American League dynasty, yes. But an AL dynasty is different than a dynasty amongst the entire league of all 30 teams. They aren't a dynasty. Too much time in between championships has passed for you to consider them a dynasty. They won they won their first championship five years ago and went a long minute in between time within before they won their next one. That's like the New England Patriots winning a championship. And that's like the Patriots winning their championship in 2000 and, you know, that's like saying that they're all for a championship and they're, uh, well, eh, too long of a time period, that's 10 years. But the idea of a dynasty is that it's got to be within a, a a similar conjunct period of time. Winning back to back, winning three in four years, winning three in five years, going back to back and then winning the third one with a gap year in between. That's what constitutes a dynasty. Winning, going back to back in one period and then a two, two one or two year break in between and then back to back in another. That's a dynasty. Three peating. That's a dynasty. The, what, what here's what a dynasty is. What the Giants did in the early 2000s. Winning in 2010, 12, and 14. Three championships in a one, two, three, four, five year period. That's a dynasty. Winning two championships in a five, six year period is not a dynasty. That's a nice run. That doesn't even constitute as a mini dynasty because they weren't back to back. And there was too much time in between. It's not a dynasty. Too much time passed in between, and, they, and the two championships are not... It's not one year in between like the Giants won 1-10 one, and won and 1-12 one, and with 2011 in between. It's one 1-17, 18-19, 20-21 go by, and then they win another 1-22. Because in, in that time period, it's in between championships. The Red Sox won a championship, the, uh, the Nationals won a championship... The Dodgers have won a championship. The Braves won a championship. Four you've crowned four World Series champions in between in between titles for the uh for the uh Astros. That's not a dynasty. With the Giants in the early two thousands, ten years ago, you only crowned two champions in between their three. Twenty eleven with the Cardinals and 2013 with the Red Sox. That's it. That's a dynasty. And finally, you got to give credit and, and give ex-Baltimore Oriole Trey Mancini his flowers. Two years ago, he's fighting for his life, wondering to forget whether or not he'll play baseball again, whether or not he'll live fighting for his life with colon cancer two years ago. Two years later he makes the clutch play to avoid the big inning in game uh in game f- uh in game five on Thursday night. And then a couple of nights later he's uh he's a World Series champion. And then Dusty Baker, of course, long illustrious major league career as a player and as a manager, was on deck when uh when uh when Barry Bonds hit, or Barry Bonds, when Hank Aaron hit seven fifty-five in the seventies, won a championship with the uh, with the Dodgers in eighty-one was the eighty-one Nocs MVP. He's he's, he's won regular season-wise and, and has put together and has managed some winning uh, baseball teams in regular season with the Giants in the nineties through the two thousand and two. Of course, they had the Game Six collapse to the uh game 6 collapse to the Angels 2003 he get the puts together a, a, a competitive Cubs team they lose in the playoffs to the Marlins to the thanks to the uh to the uh help with the help of uh, Steve Bartman in '03. He he wins a couple of division titles and gets the uh, uh, Reds to playoff appearances in the two, in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. He gets the uh, he gets the uh, he gets the Washington Nationals to the playoffs. Uh, of course, in two thousand and seventeen, doesn't work out there. A couple of years in between, get tired uh, with the uh, Astros in twenty twenty after the whole cheating scandal hits the fan. He gets he even though with the sub 500 regular season record in 60 games he gets the teams to ALCS in 2020, 21 and 22 three years in a row, uh, makes it to the World Series in 2021, gets them back in 2022 and wins the whole thing. And it's ironic that if you look at places that Dusty's been, and the team that you know, and the team that you know that he leaves ends up winning a championship. He leaves the Giants. They go on under Bochi. They have a dynasty. He leads Reds, of course, obviously notwithstanding. But the t- but the t- he get he gets the Reds to the playoffs. And a team that he loses to is it ends you know that beats him in the Giants ends up winning a World Championship. And of course, in the 2010 uh, NLDS, you know the Nationals. He leave, he can't win with them. He leaves the Nationals. He loses to the Nationals in the World Series in two thousand in the twenty twenty in the twenty nineteen. It was under it was under Hinch, but he but but you get the idea. He gets fired. Brings in Davey Martinez. Nationals end up winning the World Series after they kick uh, Dusty out the pasture, and then he comes in with and then he comes in with the. Uh, with the uh with the uh with the Astros in 2020, they don't make the World Series in 2020, 2021, the next 162 normal season that we have. What what, what team does he lose to? Team that he played for in the Atlanta Braves. So, it's funny how baseball works, man. Funny how it works. And of course, the, you know, him being the manager of the Reds with the, the last team to get no hit in the World Series. Uh, prior to the prior to the Phillies getting no hit, and it was against the Phillies, uh, of course with the combined no hitter last week, and of course with the with the with the comeback and the later innings dating back to Game Six of the 2002 World Series when he was a manager for the for the Giants, it all came full circle for Dusty on a on Saturday night, and he and Trey Mancini are World Series champions. Which, uh, which, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know, quite honestly, quite frankly, what will. And that is your show and another episode of the I'm telling Can Tell you, podcast in the books. Like what you heard, news to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the Jay Shields. I will holler at you guys on Friday. Preview Week 10, of National Football League. And they give a State of the Union address here, if you will, At the season's halfway point. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.